Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Locked on ACC. It is March 19th, 2020. I am Brian Wilmer. I'm your host. I'm from FB Schedules and College Hoops Digest. Glad you're here on another odd day. I seem to be getting more and more odd as the time goes along. I want to remind you about how to follow us. You can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnACC. Get notifications when new episodes drop. You can also send us emails with your thoughts, voice memos, whatever else you want to contribute to the program. LockedOnACC at gmail.com. If you want to hear yourself on this show, you can do that very simply. Just record a voice memo from your phone. Send it to us. You can also follow me. I am at Sports Matters on Twitter. Also, one other thing I want to remind you of, the limited time promotion we have going on with the Locked On Podcast Network and our friends at Postmates. If you want $100 knocked off your delivery fees from Postmates for seven days, and with everything being delivered these days, probably a helpful promotion. Very simple. Just go to Postmates, place your order, use Locked On NBA as your promo code. Again, Locked On NBA, all caps, one word. We're going to do another tournament throwback today. And there's a special reason why I chose the one I chose, and I'll explain to you very briefly. I was looking through a listing that I had seen some time back and had kind of forgotten I had of best ACC tournaments and best ACC tournament champions. And the best ACC tournament champion that I saw listed in that group came from the year that we're going to visit today. So without further ado... Let's go ahead. Let's jump in and take you back 38 years to 1982. The ACC season, the ACC tournament, and the NCAA tournament from 1982. But before we do that, As we've done with all these tournament throwbacks, let's take you back to some of the things that went on in 1982 so you can get a sense of what happened in the world, what happened pretty much anywhere except the basketball court. January 7th, 1982, the Commodore 64 8-bit home computer launched by Commodore International. It was actually fully released in August. The all-time best-selling single personal computer. I had one of those much later than 1982. Cool machine, though. January 24th, the San Francisco 49ers win the Super Bowl. They knock off the Cincinnati Bengals 26-21. Joe Montana, the MVP of the first-ever San Francisco 49ers NFL Championship. February 28th, Adobe Systems founded in the U.S. So for those of you who are Photoshop devotees, if you use any of the uh, audition or anything like that, your products were founded in 1982. May 2nd, the Weather Channel airs on cable television in the United States for the first time, and my dad's life has never been the same since. June 11th, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, one of the best movies of all time, released in the United States, the biggest box office success of the rest of the 80s. August 17th, The first CDs produced in Germany. October 1st, Epcot Center opens in Orlando. November 30th, Michael Jackson's Thriller is dropped. 
the best-selling album of all time, 110 million units sold worldwide. Just a quick comment here. I am probably a bigger music dork than I am a sports dork, but Michael Jackson's Thriller, there, there was a time where Michael Jackson could not be touched in terms of just hit after hit after hit after hit. And Thriller was that time. Strangely, that got eclipsed by his sister's record a few years later in terms of just quality of every single track, but we'll talk about that later. And December 29th, Paul Bear Bryant coached his final ever game. Alabama beat Illinois 21-15 in the Liberty Bowl in Memphis. Bryant would go on to die four weeks later, had a heart attack at age 69. Born in 1982, some notable names. Gilbert Arenas, born January 6th. Pete Buttigieg, born January 19th. Ben Roethlisberger, March 2nd. Jessica Biel, March 3rd. Kelly Clarkson, April 24th. Andy Roddick, August 30th. And Lil Wayne, September 27th, graced us with his presence. Deaths in 1982, some fairly significant names. John Belushi passed away March 5th. I miss that guy. I really do. Still watch Animal House probably two, three times a month. Satchel Page passed away June 8th. Uh, another quick diversion. Find out all you can about Satchel Page. Go back, watch the Ken Burns baseball series. It's available right now for everybody to watch with everybody being basically homebound. Uh, they've made it available again through PBS. So go back and watch it. Find out all you can about Satchel Page. Read up on him. An incredibly fascinating and incredibly talented man. Major League Baseball Hall of Famer. Negro League star. Speaking of incredibly talented people, James Honeyman Scott, the lead guitarist of the Pretenders, died June 16th. Lost him way too young. By the way, if you ever hear the song 2,000 Miles playing around Christmas by the Pretenders, it's not a Christmas song especially for you people who want to try and copy it and make, make remakes of it. It's not a Christmas song. It's about the loss of James Honeyman's God. August 12th, Henry Fonda passed away. Speaking of incredibly talented people. And December 23rd, Jack Webb, known for a number of things, but probably most importantly known for his time on Dragnet, which I have also watched 500 million times, despite never being alive for any of it. I've still watched it in reruns and streaming and whatever else far too much. So there's a look at the world in 1982. Very briefly, a list of the ACC standings, superlatives, et cetera, et cetera. North Carolina, your regular season champion that year, 12 and two, 32 and two Virginia under Ralph Sampson, Right behind them, 12 and 2, 30 and 4. Wake Forest, 9 and 5, 21 and 9. NC State, 7 and 7, 22 and 10. Maryland, 5 and 9, 16 and 13. Duke, 4 and 10, 10 and 17. Mike Shashevsky, a youngster back then. Clemson, 4 and 10, 14 and 14. And Georgia Tech, 3 and 11, 10 and 16. They're your ACC regular season standings. Player of the Year, Ralph Sampson. Rookie of the Year, Michael Jordan. The All-ACC first and second teams, 
Othell Wilson of Virginia, the first team guard, Vince Taylor of Duke, Sam Perkins from Carolina, James Worthy from Carolina, and Ralph Sampson. Ralph Sampson, the only double-double averaging player on that list. He averaged 15.8 a game and 11.4 boards per game. The second team, Jim Johnstone of Wake Forest, Derek Wittenberg of NC State, Vincent Hamilton of Clemson, Thurl Bailey of NC State, and Brooke Stepp of Georgia Tech. I finally remember seeing highlights of Thurl Bailey as a collegian and an NBA player. I would have liked to have known more about Thurl Bailey, one of the, the very rare guys in that era, the 6'11 guy who could play away from the basket. Samson tried to play away from the basket and wasn't really all that successful in doing so. Sam Perkins became pretty effective at playing away from the bucket when he got in the NBA, same with Worthy. Thurl Bailey was just a different guy, and I think he was ahead of his time in terms of the way his game was. The ACC tournament that year, we'll get into that and so many more things. But first, we'll take our first break of the program. Come back. ACC tournament breakdown. And whatever else we can accomplish regarding 1982. This is Locked on ACC. Stay where you are. Be right back. Welcome back to Locked on ACC, March 19th, 2020. Another tournament throwback. This time, we go back to 1982. I explained the rationale behind that year in the opening segment of the program. If you missed any of it, which I don't know why you would, but if you did, go back and check out segment one. You'll find out why we are now firmly parked in 1982. The ACC tournament in 1982 contested in Greensboro, North Carolina at the Coliseum. March 5th through 7th of the year. The quarterfinals on March 5th, North Carolina, the one seed, they beat Georgia Tech. Listen to some of these scores. 55-39. NC State, Maryland, the 4-5 game. Wolfpack win 40-28. Virginia Clemson in the 2-7 game. Virginia victorious 56-54. And Wake Forest with a downright offensive outburst. They beat Duke 88-53. The semifinals that year, North Carolina beats NC State 58-46, Virginia 51-49 victors over Wake in overtime, and in the championship, North Carolina emerges 47-45 over the Cavaliers. North Carolina, the ACC regular season and tournament champions that year. On to the 1982 NCAA tournament. 48 teams in the tournament that year. Seems crazy to think about 68 now, 48 then. Then again, it is 38 years ago. The first ever tournament broadcast by CBS. So for those of you who grew to love CBS, the theme music, the coverage, at all, it's the first ever year that CBS broadcast the NCAA tournament. I'll also tell you, by the way, we were talking about falling down YouTube rabbit holes. If you ever want to fall down YouTube rabbit holes, they they have CBS intros to tournaments years past. The music, all that stuff. Go find that. I still say the CBS NBA theme during the 80s was better than the CBS NCAA theme during the 80s. You're going to have to go a ways to beat the CBS NBA intro in the 80s. That's out there. Gary Bender, Billy Packer, 
your national championship and final four broadcasters. The tournament locations, the East, Charlotte Coliseum in Charlotte and Uniondale, New York, the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Mid-East, yes, there was a Mid-East back then, Market Square Arena in Indianapolis, and Memorial Gym in Nashville. I cannot imagine watching a tournament being played with those goofy benches behind the baseline like they have at Vanderbilt. Then again, with all the dumb things they've done with floors at Final Fours, I'm surprised they haven't gone to that, along with the floors that are actually raised up above. Ask Kevin Ware about that. Midwest, the Reunion Arena in Dallas, in the Maybe Center in Tulsa. I'm noticing a lot of venues hosting these things over and over and over. The West, the D. Glenn Smith Spectrum in Logan, Utah at Utah State, and the Beasley Coliseum in Pullman, Washington. Try playing in those places now. You might have been able to play there if they had smaller venues during the tournament this year because of the various virus issues or whatever. Ordinarily, nope. The regional sites for the finals and semifinals, get this, the East played in Reynolds Coliseum in Raleigh. Yes, they played an NCAA regional final in Reynolds Coliseum, the Mideast, the BJCC Coliseum in Birmingham, the Midwest, the Checker Dome in St. Louis, the West, this is hilarious, the Marriott Center in Provo. Not hilarious because it's at BYU, but hilarious because you think, again, these regional sites now are so much bigger and much more massive than that. And then the final four, the Superdome hosted in New Orleans. The ACC teams that made the NCAA tournament, they started off in the East. There were two of them in the East. North Carolina, the one seed, actually got a bye in the beginning of the tournament. That tournament being played again in Charlotte, as I mentioned. Carolina gets a bye while Ohio State and JMU have to play in the 8-9 game. JMU beats Ohio State 55-48. Carolina then gets JMU and beats JMU 52-50. Can you imagine if now Carolina played JMU and only beat them 52-50? the internet might collapse in on itself. In that game, just two Tar Heels in double figures. Sam Perkins had 17 and 10 boards. James Worthy with 15. A guy you might have heard of, Michael Jordan? He had six for the Tar Heels in 37 minutes. That might be the best defensive lockdown job ever done by anybody at JMU holding Michael Jordan to six. But the Tar Heels emerge victorious over the Dukes. Moving on to Raleigh, where North Carolina would face Alabama, the four seed, 74-69. The Tar Heels win that game. On to the regional final. And we'll get to the regional final in just a minute because Wake Forest, the other ACC team playing in Charlotte, they were a seven seed. They beat ODU 74-57 in a first-round game, then went on to face Memphis, who got a first-round bye. Memphis, 56, Wake Forest, 55, and the Demon Deacons knocked out after one game by a Memphis team, or Memphis State at the time, that had a bye. Wake Forest 
led that game 38-34 at the half, scored 17 points in the second half. Crazy. Anthony Ticci with 14 points for the Deeks. Guy Morgan with 13. You heard the mention of Jim Johnstone a minute ago. Johnstone had three points in that game. John Toms, who would later go on to be a fairly successful guard at Wake, played 14 minutes, took two shots, hit them both. Wake 24 of 40, 60%. 40 shots. That's it. But Memphis State, with the victory, Keith Lee, who went on to become a star at Memphis State, led the Tigers that day 18 points, 8 rebounds for the Memphis star. He played 128 games at Memphis and averaged a double-double, did Keith Lee. 18.8, 10.4. So we've talked about Carolina going to the regional final, Wake getting bumped, So let's tell you what happened in the rest of that regional. Memphis State advanced on to face third-seeded Villanova, who got a first-round bye. They then beat Northeastern 76-72. Northeastern, the 11-seed, had beaten St. Joseph 62-63 in an 11-6 game. Villanova and Memphis State then faced off. Villanova 70, Memphis 66. And home go the Tigers after they beat the Deacons. And then that makes the UNC-Villanova regional final all the more interesting considering what would happen two years later with Villanova. Raleigh Massimino's club falls on that day, though. 70-60, to down go the Wildcats. Carolina in the Final Four. Now that we've established that Carolina's in the Final Four, we'll tell you who the other three teams are that joined them right after we take this break. Be back. You are listening to Locked on ACC. Don't you dare go anywhere. More in just a minute. If you've been listening to this podcast, you've probably heard all the great advertisers working with Locked on to reach sports fans. But what you may not know is that Locked on ACC is a great way for your local business to reach passionate ACC fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked on gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener a locked-on podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with ACC fans and a predominantly male audience that's well-educated with disposable income, let's put your company right here on Locked On ACC. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve locked-on advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to Locked On ACC. March 19th, 2020, we are right in the middle of a tournament throwback to 1982. We've told you that North Carolina made the Final Four out of the East that year. Two ACC teams also in the Mid-East. Virginia, the number one seed, they get a bye while Louisiana and Tennessee have to face off, the ninth-seeded Vols beat the eighth-seeded Cajun 61-57 in round one. The Cavaliers and Volunteers then matched up in Indianapolis in round two. Virginia with the 54-51 victory over Tennessee. They would then move on to face 
UAB, the fourth-seeded Blazers, got a first-round bye, then beat Indiana 80-70 to in a 4-5 game in Nashville. UAB then gets to play on its home floor at the BJCC. The Blazers emerge victorious on their home deck, 68-66, knocking one-seed Virginia out of the tournament. Virginia with three double-digit scorers that day. Ralph Sampson with 19. He also had 21 rebounds. 21 boards. Just let that sink in. 21 of Virginia's 44. Jeff Jones with 18. He was 9 of 9 from the floor. Something that hurt Sampson, though. He was just 3 of 6 from the line, and Virginia lost by 2. Just an observation. And Jim Miller, who is now one half of the UVA basketball radio broadcasting team, The pride of Princeton, West Virginia, had 10 points on that day. Virginia, 28 of 57 from the field, 49.1%, but just 10 of 17 from the line, 58.8%, which hurts. Ricky Stokes, 0 for 1, Kent Needlin, 0 for 3. The other two players to miss free throws, aside from Ralph Sampson on that day. Four Blazers in doubles, Oliver Robinson with 23, Llewellyn Foster, 12, Jonathan Nicholas, 11, and Donnie Spear, 10 for the Blazers, who shot 43.6%. They were 24 of 55 from the field and 20 of 25 from the line, 80%. So Virginia knocked out of the tournament on UAB's home floor. UAB would then advance to the regional final where they would face Louisville, the third-seeded Cardinals, defeat UAB 75-68 and send UAB the few miles back down back down I-65 to go home. And thus ends the Blazers' sort of Cinderella run, Louisville onto the Final Four. We had two other regionals without ACC representation, those being the Midwest. And this is crazy. You had eight-seeded Boston College and six-seeded Houston facing off in the regional finals BC knocked off fifth-seeded Kansas State and and top-seeded DePaul to get to the regional final. Houston, meanwhile, beat third-seed Tulsa after knocking off Alcorn State and second-seed Missouri, then went on to face Boston College. Houston, 99, BC, 92. The Cougars onto the final four. And the West, where Georgetown, the one-seed, got that bye, faced Wyoming, I probably should never talk about Wyoming and basketball on this podcast again because I might trigger certain listeners, but I will at some point. Wyoming, the 61-58 victory for the Cowboys in the 8-9 game. Georgetown then beats them 51-43. Georgetown then beats Fresno State 58-40 and goes on to the regional final against second-seeded Oregon State. The Beavers had beaten seventh-seeded Pepperdine 70-51. And third seed Idaho, yes, third seed Idaho, 60-42 to 42, to move on to the regional final. Georgetown then easily handles Oregon State 69-45 to go on to the final four. The final four is where things get really interesting, though. You had one-seeded Carolina, six-seed Houston, three-seed Louisville, one-seed Georgetown, In the Final Four in New Orleans, Carolina with a 68-63 victory over the Cougars. 
in the first game of the Final Four that year. The Cougars would then go on, actually most of these teams would go on to several Final Fours in the 80s, but the Cougars especially, you'll recall the Phi Slamma Jamma years at all. In that game against Houston, Sam Perkins with 25 points, 10 boards. Michael Jordan, a little bit better day, 18 points, 5 boards. For the legend, James Worthy, 14 points. For the Tar Heels, Carolina, 26 of 44, 59.1% from the field. A couple of names you'll recall on this Houston team. Lyndon Rose, the leading scorer for the Cougars, 20 points. Larry Michaud, 18 points, 6 boards. Clyde Drexler, remember him, 17 points, 9 rebounds. For Houston, Michael Young, who played on a lot of those Houston teams in the 80s, one of seven from the field. He had two points. And a guy you might remember named Akeem Olajuwon came off the bench, played 20 minutes. He was one of three, had two points. So we've got the Carolina-Georgetown final set up after Georgetown with the 50-46 victory over the Cardinals. So we had the irresistible force and the immovable object You had Patrick Ewing, the star freshman, Michael Jordan, the budding star, all kinds of storylines here. You had Dean Smith, who had never won a national title, despite all the times he'd been to the Final Four. You had John Thompson looming on the other side. He would also like to break his string of not having one. This is another game... If you want to go out and spend a couple of hours on YouTube, actually, they've condensed the game down to where it's something like an hour and a half if you watch it, which unfortunately takes out a lot of the other ancillary stuff. But if you want to just watch the game itself, it's a really fascinating case study, even if you only watch the last couple of minutes, because you'll get to see Carolina's vaunted four corners offense, where basically they just stand around and pass the ball since there's no shot clock, there's no three-point line, which is infuriating to watch at times because you had guys like Worthy and Perkins and Jordan and you expect them to be more of a high-scoring club, but they were capable of these low-scoring games. It's also interesting because you got to see Georgetown go zone late in the game, which combated the four corners fairly well, but also ended up costing the Hoyas. More on that in a second. You get down to the last minute of the game and you see Sleepy Floyd make a runner, to put the Hoyas ahead. Then Michael Jordan with a pull-up jumper, one of his patented pull-up jumpers from the left side, put the Tar Heels back ahead. The Hoyas have one last chance. And Fred Brown passes to James Worthy, who flashes by. Worthy's fouled, misses two of his free throws. Georgetown might have had one more shot, but they had no timeouts left. They tried a desperation heave from midcourt that fell well short. And Dean Smith got his title. North Carolina, 63, Georgetown, 62 in the national championship game, March 29th, 1982. Worthy, 28 points for the victorious Tar Heels. Sam Perkins, 10 points. And that guy, Jordan, he had 16. Three Hoyas in double figures, Patrick Ewing, 23 and 11 Sleepy Floyd with 18, also dished five dimes, recorded four steals. Sleepy Floyd was a really good guard. For those of you who aren't familiar with basketball from that era, go back and watch some Sleepy Floyd stuff. He was really good. And Eric Smith, 14 points for Georgetown. Carolina, 25 of 47 from the field, 
53.2%, 13 of 22 from the line, including those two worthy misses with two seconds remaining, 59.1%, Georgetown 27 of 51, 52.9 from the field, just eight of nine from the free throw line for the Hoyas. Carolina went 22 times, Georgetown nine. That is stunning. Your all-tournament team, James Worthy, Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, Sam Perkins, and Sleepy Floyd. Just four players from the ACC make any all-region teams. Jimmy Black, Sam Perkins, and James Worthy, all from Carolina in the East Regional, and Ralph Sampson in the Mideast Regional. There's some names on this list if you have gone back and watched any early 80s basketball. I didn't know a lot of these names, obviously, until I went back and watched a bunch of old games. Lancaster Gordon, John Bagley, Larry Michaud, a lot of really fascinating names. Another guy who didn't really get his due but was an incredible player, Ed Pinckney of Villanova. He was on the All-East team. So there you have it. Your look back at 1982, the world, the court, and all things surrounding them. We'll continue to do these tournament throwbacks. They're fun for me to do. Hopefully they're fun for you to listen. If you like them, send us an email, lockedonacc at gmail.com. Tweet us, lockedonacc, or you can tweet me. I am at Sports Matters. Any of those work. We'd love your input. We'd love your feedback, and we'd love your voice. That'll wind down the program. Before we go, I'll also remind you again, Postmates, download the app, enter in the code LOCKEDONNBA. You can get $100 in removed delivery fees for seven days. It's a limited time offer. Go grab it. That'll bring to a close. Locked on ACC. If you like what you heard, tell your smart speaker, however you want to tell it, yell at it, whatever you want to do. To play the latest episode of Locked on ACC, Locked on Big Ten, Locked on SEC, and all of our other great Locked on programming. We'll see you tomorrow. This has been Locked on ACC. Take care. Love you. Mean it. (laughs)